0: So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you that we can be shaped by it, that we can be nourished by it, and that we can be made new by it. And so this morning I just pray uh, that your word would be uh, living and active in our life, that we wouldn't come in and, and hear the word and be unchanged by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Lauren.
1: Good morning, everyone. Um, This morning we're reading from Isaiah 61, starting at verse 1. I'll let you have a chance to look it up if you want to. Okay, Isaiah 61, starting at verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations.
0: Um, we've already prayed, but I'm still going to encourage you to stand as we come to God's Word this morning. We activate our bodies and... Um, We've been sitting a bit this morning and we've had some great times of worship. We've been up and down, but just encourage you to stand. If you've got your Bible with you, get your own Bible out. The words will be on the screen as we journey through, but it's good to have your own Bible in front of you. Um, If you're going to write notes, get that out, get yourself ready. Uh, Maybe have a stretch to kind of activate the synapses in your brain, get the get the blood flowing, okay, and you can sit down, and, and, and for those of you that loved it like Abraham, um, you, can stretch, you can get active a bit more later, um, and we'll let those who feel a bit more awkward sit down. So we've been talking about life renovation, this is the third week of our series on life renovation, and so this series has been about uh, making ourselves new, this has been about partnering with God for renewal and, and really taking ownership of our life and and plotting the course of our life with Jesus. And so I just want to remind you of uh, the the seven R's in a sense of of renovation and I have to have to acknowledge my wife Christy that, that these most of these words came from her as she was re- reflecting on on renovation and and so the word renovation is about these things. It's about restoration, about rehabilitation, about redeveloping, about rebuilding, remodeling, reconstructing, repairing and reconditioning. And so those are all words about what we do with buildings when we renovate, but they're all also words that we can grasp hold of and think about when, when we're renewing our own life with Jesus and, and allowing Him to make us new. And so really, the biblical word, will, we don't see renovation in the Bible, but what we're really talking about is transformation here, about allowing ourselves to be transformed by God. And so I want to read for you this morning, to begin with, a, a familiar verse. It's Romans 12.2 that a lot of us would be familiar with that speaks of transformation. But I want to read it from an unfamiliar passage, sometimes an, un, uh, sorry, an unfamiliar translation. Sometimes we, we get so familiar with the pattern of words, that don't have the impact. And so some of you may have heard of the Passion Translation. It's a, a relatively new translation that uh, one man who's, who's a, a, a biblical scholar but's been working through um, translating various books. So mostly you can only buy it as um, individual books of the Bible. But Romans 12, 2 in that translation says this stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation. It's, it's got one of those, an, an R word in there. We could change that to renovation for our, us this morning. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. And so friends, I want to say this morning that we're called in Jesus to live a beautiful life, to live a satisfying life. And it's not the kind of beauty that uh, is skin deep. It's not the kind of beauty that, that you get from putting on a mask that you think others will perceive as beautiful. It's about that inward transformation that radiates outwardly in beauty. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we journey through this morning's message that that God's Word, God encourages us and wants us to live a beautiful life, a rich and satisfying life that brings Him glory. And so this morning we want to talk about shifting from broken to beautiful. So we've talked about shifting from being makeshift to meaningful, shifting from maxed out to margin, and this morning I want to talk about shifting from being broken to beautiful. If we think about a home renovation again, and as we've talked about those things over the last few weeks, we've said that there'll be things in our home that are makeshift, that are quick shod solutions to problems in our home about capacity or things that aren't quite working well. There will also be areas of a home that are maxed out. Maybe we need more space or maybe the house is filled with clutter. But as we're renovating a home, there'll also be things that are just broken. They're not makeshift. They're they're not maxed out. They're simply just broken. And, And some of those things we'll be aware of but we've kind of learnt to live with them over time. And, and, you know, so you might get used to it and then a friend comes to your house and goes, well, the, the toilet's not flushing. And you say, well, you need to take a bucket full of water and tip it down. That's just, that's just what happens in this house. Um, that's a, a thing that is just broken. And, and I have to say, actually, that, that's not a real example. That hasn't happened to me. There's been much interest over the last few weeks about our kettle uh, in the uh, laundry. A few people have visited our house and wanted to see... The kettle in the laundry, not in the in the kitchen. So the toilet example isn't real. Um, our toilets work, but there might be other things in your house that are just broken, and you know about it, but you just kind of live around it. But some things that that are broken in your house, you don't know about until you start to renovate. You might just want to pull off that wallpaper and give it a quick paint, but but behind the wallpaper, the whole wall is is cracked and shattered. You might think I oh, will just pull up the carpet. And we'll polish the floorboards and we'll have beautiful floorboards and you pull up the carpet and discover all the floorboards are cracked and broken and it's not just, just not going to work. A real example is my parents were renovating a home and there was a crack in the wall and they were aware of the crack in the wall and once they began to re- renovate, they realised the whole foundation had sunk on one side and so they had to repair that by getting concrete pumped in under it and things like that. And, and so the point is that sometimes you know what's broken in a home And sometimes you don't discover what's broken until you begin to renovate it and transform it. And the point of that is that the same is true in our lives. Sometimes we're aware of things that are broken or damaged in us, hurts and wounds, and we just learn to live around them. Other times though, there, there are things that we're not really conscious of them being broken and it's not until we try and go forward in life, we try and renovate, we try and you know, shift from makeshift to meaningful and, and we realize, oh, it's, there's, there's actually an area of brokenness or wounding that's going to prevent me from moving forward with that. Or, or we might be trying to shift from maxed out to margin and we realize, well, there's actually an area of brokenness that, that's driving me to constantly be maxed out. And, and so in the process of renovating, we discover these things. And the truth is that every life, every person here this morning has things in their life that are broken. In Romans, Paul talks about all of creation, and, and you are part of creation. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. That's waiting for, for Jesus to come again and, and to bring complete newness to heaven and earth. And so, everybody, every life has areas that are broken. And so, Part of making this shift from, from being broken to, to beautiful and again not talking about skin deep beauty but inner beauty that radiates outward is acknowledging this truth about us. Acknowledging this truth about myself and yourself that there are things in my life that are broken. We've talked a bit about how the world conditions us to think and, and the world actually conditions us to not want to let anybody be aware of this about us. That, that, we, that we want the world to think that there's nothing about me that's broken. There's nothing about me that's wounded or damaged or hurt. I am the perfect person. And, and so beginning to shift from, from brokenness to see healing in these places so that our life will radiate with beauty is, is acknowledging this truth, that there are things in my life that are broken. I read in a book though recently that we should never put a full stop where God wants to put a comma. We should never end a sentence, we should never end a story when that's just partway through God's story and, and so there actually should be a comma in this sentence. There are things in my life that are broken but God, but God, how many great sentences have that, those two words in it, but God. There are things in my life that are broken but God wants to restore them to beauty. If you take nothing away from the next little while this morning... Um, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But if you take nothing else away from this morning, grab hold of that. There are things in my life that are broken, but God wants to restore them to beauty. That's the truth I want us to lay hold of this morning. There are things in my life that are broken, but God wants to restore them to beauty. It's God's desire to take us from broken to beautiful. In in Psalm 147, verse 3, it says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. see, God is a healing God. He's a God who wants to draw near to those who are broken. He's a God that wants to embrace the wounded and He wants to bind them up and heal them. He wants to turn their brokenness to beauty. See, this is shifting from broken to beautiful is not just about a catchy title. It's not just about some nice alliteration, which I love so much. If you're not sure what alliteration is, it's beginning letters, beginning words with the same letter. Being broken and shifting to beautiful is God's heart's desire for you. In Isaiah 53.5, it says this, But he, that he is prophesying about Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. So Jesus was was crushed for our iniquities. He he died for our sins. We're we're mostly familiar with that, at least in a theological sense. He was punished for our peace. His, His punishment, His turmoil turmoil purchased peace for our lives but he was also wounded that we might be healed in 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 other translations it says by his stripes we are healed in reference to the whipping that Jesus would take on our behalf. He's wounding. He took upon wounding so that we could take upon ourselves healing. Jesus' desire, God's desire to shift us from broken to beautiful is so strong that He wanted to bear our brokenness Himself so that we wouldn't have to anymore. That is His desire for us. This morning, Lauren read for us from Isaiah 61, and and I just want to share with you that in the original context, that that is a prophecy from God into the midst of the deepest brokenness that God's people have ever experienced in a physical sense. It's a word speaking restoration, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and blessing to a broken, shattered, and ruined people. In 587 BC, Jerusalem was finally completely destroyed and all of its inhabitants, except for those that the Babylonians didn't think worth caring about, were exiled to Babylon. It was the final note in the complete and utter destruction of the people of Israel and Judah. And so in the midst of that deep and utter brokenness and shame and wounding and hurt, these words were spoken. And these words, though, were not just for God's ancient people of Israel. They weren't just for God's ancient people of Judah. These are actually the words that Jesus quotes when he visits a synagogue. We're told about in Luke 4, he visits a synagogue, which is kind of like a Jewish church. uh, And and he's given the opportunity to to read from the scriptures from the Old Testament. And and these are the words that he picks up and and it says he finds this place. It wasn't just a random accident, and he finds this place, and he actually reads the first two verses of Isaiah 61. He says, the Spirit of the Lord, in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to reclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus reads that and then next he does this. So it says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him because after you read, you would then sit down and in those days, um, those, the preacher would sit down and everyone else would stand and um, we'll have a vote after church this morning to see if we want to swap back to the old style of doing things. Um, I don't know if I could sit still whilst preaching, but um, we'll see how we go. But but he sat down and the eyes were fastened on him because they wanted to see how he would reflect on this passage. He was a teacher, um, he'd been saying some crazy things, he'd been doing some miraculous things. And, and so they wanted to see what he would say about this passage. And, and what he said was, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. If we read the story on, they were not pretty happy about that, but, but we're not going to focus there because they understood the weight of what he was saying. What Jesus was saying is that this passage is about me and what I will do in the world. Yes, it was about the physical restoration of Israel and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. Yes, it was about the people coming back from from exile and being placed back in God's promised land, something that had never happened before for an exiled people. But, But it was mostly about Jesus coming and what he would do and what would be achieved through his death and resurrection. And I don't believe that Jesus was just referring to. There's There's a reason he read the first two chapters of Isaiah 61, but I don't believe he was just referring to those two verses from the Old Testament. See, elsewhere Jesus makes lots of allusions and and says plainly that all of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament pointed to who Jesus is and was and what he would do. And so these words in Isaiah chapter 61 are not just for God's ancient people of Israel and Judah, they're for you and me. What God desired to do for ancient Israel is what He desires to do for us today. And so Jesus read from the first two verses of Isaiah 61, and actually we just want to spend some time this morning just picking through the next two verses and and focusing in on, on, on God's desire for you and I to shift us from broken to beautiful. And so, Isaiah 63, verse 3, it says this, the prophet says this of us. It says that his desire is to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. And so, you can't get much more broken than ashes. Once something has been broken and burned and all that is left is ashes, then, then it's about as broken as something can be. And so this, this prophecy says that God's desire is in the midst of our most broken places in, in, into that place to replace that, not with the, the destruction of ashes, but with a crown of beauty, to restore beauty into the most broken place. And, and because ashes were the most broken that something could be in, in ancient times, what they would do is if they were inwardly broken, if they were grieving and, and in turmoil... Inwardly, either through repentance or, 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 or mourning, they, they would put on sackcloth and ashes. They would put on just clothes they'd made out of a sack and then they would pour ashes over their head. And it was a way of saying, I am broken. That, that this outward kind of garment of, of, of a sack and ashes tipped all over me was a way of saying, I might look all right on the outside, but I want you to know that on the inside I'm deeply broken. And so putting a crown of beauty instead of ashes is, is God saying, I want to heal your brokenness inwardly so that it would be transformed into an outward expression of beauty and into an outward expression of celebration, not brokenness. And this is made more clear in, in the verses that come, is that in Isaiah 63 verse 3 it goes on to say, He wants to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He wants to bestow on them the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair. And so this is not God just saying, I want to put nicer clothes on you so you don't look so sad. It's saying He wants to heal again the inward brokenness. It's transforming the, the clothes of mourning into the clothes of celebration because he, he, he turns our inner being to celebration. It's like going from spending... Months in your tracky decks and, and your pajama top because you've got no strength or energy or will to wear anything else. You you kind of want the world to know I'm broken on the inside. To God transforming and healing and shifting that inner brokenness to to a place of inner beauty so that you just want to party. The oil of gladness is, is like putting on moisturizer and makeup and... and and, and getting excited about going out. The garment of praise is like putting on your best clothes because you're so excited on the inside that you just want to go out and party. It's, a, it's such an inner transformation that God wants to, to bring to the most broken places in our life that, that would show up outwardly in beauty. This, the, the last part of Isaiah 63 verse 3 says, and this is, this is my favorite part, it says, they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And, and what I find so profound about this is what it is saying is, is that God's splendor, or we could translate that word glory or beauty even, that God's splendor, His glory, His, His beauty is best on display in the place that He heals our brokenness. Not in the place that's always perfect, not in the person that's always been perfect, but God's beauty, His glory, His splendor, the glory of who He is, the majesty of who God is, is best on display when He turns our mourning to celebration, when He places a crown of beauty instead of ashes, when He heals our wounds, when He restores us in the broken places, that is when God's glory is best on display. If we think about it for, our, for ourselves, that we, we love the stories most that involve triumph over adversity. And we kind of get a little bit you know, uppity about people who seem to have always just had it perfect. We're more impressed by those who've had adversity and brokenness and have triumphed over it. And in the same way, God's glory is most revealed in our life, not through our perfection, but through Him turning the broken places to beautiful places, from Him turning the wounded places to healed places, from Him turning the despairing places to restored places that we want to celebrate about what God has done. God's Beauty, his glory, his splendor is best on display when he shifts you from broken to beautiful. And so if there's brokenness in your life, that's merely an opportunity for God to demonstrate how glorious and wonderful he is. Verse 4 goes on to say this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. See, there is no time limit that brokenness gets to the point where God can't and doesn't want to restore it. There's no thing in your life that has been broken for so long that God doesn't want to put a crown of beauty there. There's no devastation that has existed for so long that God doesn't want to heal it and reveal His glory there. And I love that it says devastated for generations. Some of the brokenness in our life isn't just stuff that happened in our lives. It's it's stuff that has been passed down through our family for generations. and, And we might go, well, this is just what happens in my family. We have that illness in my family. We have that character trait in my family we have this in my family or my family just don't get along when we never have for generations then this word says to us that even the cities even the places in our lives in our families that have been broken and devastated for generations are places that will be rebuilt and displays of God's splendor and so we need to face the truth that there are things in our life that are broken but we don't end the sentence there. We, we embrace the truth that God wants to restore them to beauty. God wants to renovate and to make us new. And I want to say this morning that God doesn't want to do a knockdown rebuild. We are, we are made new in Christ. We are a new creation. But it doesn't say that, that Jesus wants to knock us out of the way and replace us with somebody else. He wants to renovate who you are. He wants to restore and heal who you are. Uh, It could have said uh, in Isaiah chapter 61, it could have said God's going to find them a new place and they're going to build new shiny polished cities and and they're going to start again afresh. But, But that's not what the prophet says. He says they're going to go back to the place of brokenness. They're going to go back to the promised land and they're going to rebuild and restore there. And so God doesn't want to replace you with somebody else. More shiny, more new, more perfect in your eyes. He wants to restore your brokenness. He wants to heal your wounds. He wants to make you a radiance of His glory in the world. God wants to take you from broken to beautiful without changing your unique identity without making you somewhere else. And if we think about the only places that, that brokenness is part of something's identity is ancient ruins. It's, it's tourist attractions. And I love you, but you are not a tourist attraction. God's desire for you is, is not for people to come and see your brokenness and remember what was and what could have been. And, oh gee, wasn't, Carl was once a great man, but look at the broken thing he is now. God doesn't want Carl to be a tourist attraction. God wants Carl to be a display of God's glory and splendor through healing the broken places. And we had the opportunity to to hear some of that in his testimony a while ago. We are called to be beautiful and to be different. But, but what does that shift from, from broken to beautiful look like? What does it? It's all very well and good to think, oh yeah, God wants to shift us from broken to beautiful. God wants to, to make us new and to heal us. But, but what does that actually look like? See, all through this series, it's been a fairly practical series about, okay, here's what we go away and do and reflect on. And, and so what does broken to beautiful actually look like? And, and to kind of illustrate that for us this morning, I want to, Paint two pictures in a sense. And so the first picture I want to paint of what it looks like to shift from broken to beautiful is, a, is the picture of just one touch of the edge of Jesus' cloak. Just one touch of the edge of Jesus' cloak. And, and so in Luke chapter 8, verses 42, we have this story, 40, starting at verse 42, we have this story of a, of a woman's healing that is just wedged into the middle of some other stories. It's just wedged into the middle of another story about a dead girl been raised to life and and it's planted in the middle of that. And it says this, it says, As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And so he was on his way um, to to the home of uh, a Roman ruler whose daughter had passed away. And Jesus raised him to life. But it says that as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. And so this woman's brokenness was instantly healed with just one touch of Jesus' cloak. Her physical brokenness that she had lived with for over 12 years and and elsewhere um, in other Gospels we understand that she'd sought treatment from from many different sources and, and, and all that she had had basically been spent on seeking healing for a physical illness. But then she came to Jesus and just one touch of his cloak and a physical brokenness was healed in a moment. But a brokenness because of her physical brokenness was more than physical, the kind of illness that she had would have meant that she was socially broken, spiritually broken, relationally broken and emotionally broken. She would have been an outcast in her society. And so the story doesn't end there. That's not the full stop in this woman's story. Jesus wanted more for her. And so we go on in verse 45 to read Jesus saying, who touched me? And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, that line is important, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And so this woman's physical brokenness was already healed, but Jesus wanted more for her. Jesus called her out in the crowd and made it known in front of all the people that she had been healed, thus declaring publicly that she was clean. Declaring publicly that she was spiritually clean, that she should be now socially accepted, And and he spoke over her the word daughter, which, which in the Greek is a word loaded with value and meaning and beauty. Speaking into her emotional brokenness the value of that word daughter. And what he highlights is not his power that has healed her. He doesn't say, in my awesomeness I have healed you, now you may go. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. See, he makes this broken woman a spiritual hero in front of all the people. He shifted her brokenness to not just healing and and, and physical restoration, but to a beautiful story that we're still telling 2,000 plus years later. See, Jesus wanted more for her. Just one touch of the edge of his cloak gave her a crown of beauty instead of her ashes. The other picture I want to paint for us this morning is, is from a line in, in, in Paul's writing. So Paul wrote um, that in Corinthians that those in Christ are a new creation. He, um, he talked about um, the the kind of instantaneous nature of coming to Christ and and our being made new. But in, in Philippians he also wrote this, in Philippians twelve thirteen, he wrote that therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to His good purpose. And so it's that phrase I've underlined there this morning that I want us to grab hold of for the second picture of what it looks like to shift from broken to beautiful, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so we might instantly think that salvation is particularly associated with healing. Uh, We've been trained and conditioned uh, to think of salvation as the getting to heaven bit. That once we trust in Jesus, we're saved and we get to heaven and, and, and then that's it. That's what salvation looks like. But the Greek word, which is soterion, means, yes, saved, like we understand it, but it means delivered, it means prosperous, it means welfare, it means safety, and it means healing. So the picture of what it means to be saved, to have salvation in Jesus, is much fuller and richer than we tend to think of it. And so what Paul is saying is, yes, we're a new creation for we're in Christ Jesus, but he's also saying, don't settle for life as it is right here and now. Don't accept the level of healing and the the level of brokenness in your life as it is now. He says, continue to work it out with fear and trembling, or, or we could say with reverence and effort. Continue to work towards your healing continue to pursue shifting from broken to beautiful. And and so we go back to that picture on the screen. This is about not just having one touch of Jesus' cloak, this is about walking the path of healing. And I love this picture because there's some bits that are paved and easy and there's some bits that are rocky and then you get around the corner and you're not really sure where it goes. Sometimes the path of healing looks like that. You're not really sure when you begin what it looks like, but but Paul is encouraging us to continue to walk that path, to continue to pursue our healing. And, and for each of us, we, we, we've got different brokenness, we've got different wounds and, and things, and some of those are physical, some are emotional, spiritual and mental, and, and some of them are relational and, and things like that. And so walking that path of healing will look different for each of us. But it looks like identifying the areas of brokenness and making a plan. It might look like counseling. It might look like prayer ministry. It might look like forgiving someone or repenting to God. It might look like seeking forgiveness from someone else. It, it might look like bridging a relational divide that's been long broken. It, it might look like a, a seeing a doctor and going and getting that thing checked out. There might be the easy parts, there might be the hard parts, but Paul's encouragement is just to continue to walk forward in it. Don't accept brokenness as the permanent condition of your life. And then in the next few verses, in Philippians 2, 14 to 15, Paul attaches this encouragement to keep walking forward in your journey of healing with a a picture of broken and beautiful. He says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And so that line this this crooked and depraved generation is a is a vivid picture of brokenness. We live in a broken world, filled with broken people. And that's not exclusive to the church. Paul paints this picture of brokenness, but then he goes on to, to, to describe this picture of beauty that we're meant to embody. He says, this crooked and pra- depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. There's nothing more beautiful than a, than a, a dark, moonless night and a clear sky when, when the stars of the universe are dazzling and they stand out in the midst of the blackness. And there's this this beauty displayed. God's Word says that's what we are meant to look like. We won't be made perfect in this life. This will be a a constant journey until Jesus comes back, but, but we are meant to stand out as points of beautiful, dazzling light in the midst of the brokenness in this world. We are meant to be oaks of righteousness, displays of God's glory and splendor in the midst of the brokenness and darkness of this world. And so Paul says, don't settle for where you're at now. Continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your healing and your deliverance and your welfare and your prosperity. And yes, your salvation with fear and traveling, with revelance and effort, keep moving forward towards shifting from broken to beautiful. And before we wrap up though, I just want to return back to the story of the woman... Who was healed by one touch because we might, we, we might see those two pictures, this walking the path of healing and this, well, just one touch of Jesus' cloak and we will, if you're anything um, above zero on the IQ quotient, you would say, well, I'll have the one touch version. Thank you very much. And so I just want to come back to this woman's story and, and just remind us about a few things. We're just going to leave that picture up there and... Um, and um, thank you to the artist. And I was hoping I could read, yet yeah, Simon Dewey. I have no idea who he is, but I just wanted to read his name out um, so that if you want to look up the painting, it's, this painting is called The Hem of His Cloak. Um, and so just to really appreciate that picture, and it really vividly portrays this moment for us. And, and I want to remind us, though, in that story, it says that Jesus is almost crushed by the crowd. Who has ever tried to force their way through a large crowd? Is it easy? No. Is it easy to get anywhere through a crowd that's pressing and crushing around? It's not. See, this woman wasn't sitting at home on the couch and Jesus walked into a room and his cloak accidentally brushed up against her leg and she was healed. She wasn't even sitting on the side of the road and and Jesus walked by and there's plenty of space around and, and he happened to brush up against her and she was healed. This woman pushed and shoved and elbowed and nudged her way close enough to Jesus that she could reach out and touch his cloak. She worked to get near to Jesus. She wasn't healed by her works, but she was determined to get close enough to Jesus just to touch his cloak so that she might be healed. We also remember that she had sought healing For 12 years she she would have sought prayer in synagogues if she was ever allowed into them or by people from synagogues she would she sought healing from from physicians she'd spent all that she had on healing and so we'd forgive her if she just said well what's this guy going to be different why is this time going to be different why should i bother getting off the couch again but see she refused to put a full stop because she knew that that wasn't the end of her story with God. She refused after 12 years of trying to be healed, of trying to see shifting from broken to beautiful, she refused to let that be the end of her story. And so she got up. She went out. She pressed through the crowd and she touched the edge of Jesus' cloak and she was healed in more ways than she could have possibly imagined. And see, though what I want to encourage us this morning is that these two pictures aren't actually that different. So to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling or, or reverence and effort, we don't do that apart from Jesus. We do that with Jesus. And, and to be healed by one touch of Jesus' cloak is, is something that we should also pursue. We can remember, if we're familiar with the New Testament, blind men on the side of the road, when everyone's telling them just to shut up, calling out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, until he stops and turns around and heals them. Jesus had already walked past, but they yelled out and got their healing. And so the, the, the truth, and, and, and don't try and pick it apart too deeply theologically, and this is not about Jesus being in one particular place or not, but, but in a metaphorical sense, the, the closer we press into proximity with Jesus the closer we press into our healing. The more we pursue Jesus in our life, the closer we draw to our own healing, to our own shift from broken to beautiful. But I want to encourage us this morning again with that truth that I want us to to grab hold of. And and, and as I said, this is the one thing I want us to take home if we lose all else, is that there are things in my life that are broken and that doesn't make me weird or strange or unique or different to anybody else in the room or the world for that matter. There are things in my life that are broken but God wants to restore them to beauty. God wants to bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He wants to bestow on you the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He wants to bestow on you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He wants to make you a beautiful and glorious display of his splendor. He wants to rebuild the ancient ruins of your life. He wants to restore the places of your life that have long been devastated, even for generations. And so I want to encourage you this morning not to put a full stop in your life where God wants to put a comma. Not to end God's story in your life at a point where he sees it as just partway through. Don't accept brokenness as the condition that God wants you to live the rest of your life in, no matter how long you've lived with that brokenness. Seek one touch from Jesus. Continue to pursue and work out your healing with reverence and fear. Um, So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I encourage you to stand, um, and then we're going to worship. And if you'd like some specific prayer um, into a specific area of your life, if there's something in your life that, that's just broken Um, you don't even have to tell us what it is but i just encourage you to come out the front and we'll just have some people pray for you uh, while others head off for morning tea or if there's someone else that you prefer to pray for you this morning then feel free to ask them there's nothing special about this space but we just want to create that opportunity for you so let me pray and then let's just sing and worship come near to jesus and pursue healing Father God, we thank you that you love us deeply and completely, that you accept us without reservation just as we are. That you require no change in us for you to see us as lovely and beautiful and acceptable in your life. But Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you don't want to leave us broken. I thank you that you love us so much that you don't want to leave us wounded and devastated and grieving and hurting. I thank you that you love us so much that you want to shift us from broken to beautiful, glorious displays of your splendor. So Jesus, as Jesus said, Father, to the woman who was healed by one touch of your cloak, he spoke over her that it was her faith in Jesus that had made her well. And So Father, I pray this morning that you would release faith over us, that, that we would believe that you can make us well. Father, I pray for faith and belief for us that in the places where we we might just simply not have the capacity to believe that you could shift that place from broken to beautiful, I pray that you would give us a mustard seed of faith to believe that we could be made beautiful, that you could shift that pile of ashes to a crown of beauty we declare Jesus that we believe help us in our unbelief in your name we pray Jesus